Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everybody? And welcome into Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, as always, Ryan Fowler and... Ladies and gentlemen, here we are, New Year's Day, January 1st, 2024. And for me, ladies and gentlemen, I'm focused on moving forward. I'm focused on what's to come of the Washington Commanders organization. This year, 2023, has not been good. 4-12, coming off of a loss on New Year's Eve. 27-10 against the San Francisco 49ers, a game in which Washington was down 10-0, tied it up 10-10, and then allowed 17 unanswered points, again, to lose by 17 at home to the Niners, again, pushing Washington to 4-12. We have more questions with Sam Howell and what to expect of him and his immediate future for the Washington Commanders, right, under center. Who is going to align under center moving in to week one in September of next year. Now, we still got one more game left of this thing, just as we did last year, finishing off the year at home against the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas will come into town 425 on Fox next Sunday to wrap up an ugly end, 99% chance to the Ron Rivera tenure. Martin Mayhew potentially gone as well. We will see. The changes are going to come. They are expected and they are going to come. They're going to happen, guys. And it is overdue. Year four of a regime to where we entered the year expecting at least 500 football, and it hasn't even been close. The regression on either side of the ball has been ugly. We saw Jack Del Rio gone weeks ago. The team has not progressed. The young players have not progressed. Free agent additions, guys that were drafted in prior years to come in and have some sort of impact. Your day one guys and guys like Emmanuel Forbes, Jahan Dotson was rather, in my opinion, uninvolved all year long. Regression. And it's really unfortunate to see because of this roster and how it was looked upon entering 2022 as what? A quarterback away. And we are beyond that. We are at a point now to where it is going to be a scorched earth mentality and you're going to start from the bottom up. Everything. Tear it down. From the top to the bottom. The ownership has already changed. New regime in town aren't going to have any ties to any of these players. Don't care if you're Terry McLaurin, John Allen, Deron Payne, Brian Robinson, or your guys like De'Ami Brown, Benjamin St. Juiced, or pending free agents in Curtis Samuel and Kendall Fuller, or Tyler Larson that I felt like has done a decent job at center when healthy. No one is going to have ties to anything. So if you are new GM Adam Peters coming over from the Niners, or you are Joe Hortiz coming over from the Baltimore Ravens, whoever is going to be pushing the buttons for Washington at the top, moving into these next few months, that is what I am focused on. Because the year has officially turned. 
2024. Hopefully, a year from now, on January 1st, 2025, we're talking playoffs. Whether it's wild card, winning the NFC East for the first time since 2020, fighting for maybe a one or two seed in the conference, I would love that because the talent is still there for Washington. Are there holes? Of course. The holes that we saw last year, there's a lot of them still here. Corner, tackle, guard, center, whole offensive line are going to be new faces. Linebacker, tight end, you still need more corners, especially if Kendall Fuller leaves. And depending what the new regime wants to do with a guy like Benjamin St. Just, excuse me, be heading into 2024, into year four. A lot of questions there. Same with Sam Cosme and same with a guy like first rounder Jamin Davis who ended this year on IR. So there is a ton of questions that we are going to have to try to iron out both here on this podcast and figure out everything and dissect everything that happens for the commanders and whoever comes into town to put everything and look at it from a thousand foot view and say, this is who we're going to spend our money on. We want him back. We want him back. We don't want him back. We're going to spend our money in free agency here. And then we're going to draft because guys, before we get to April into Detroit to the 2024 NFL draft, And where we sit right now with the number two overall selection. Now, Washington's history at the number two overall selection hasn't been great. RG3, one year of success. Chase Young, I think you guys guys know how that went, right? Really didn't work out. So right now with the second overall pick, there's a ton of avenues. But whatever Washington does in free agency is going to paint the picture for what they're going to do in the draft. If they come into free agency and they want to spend on a Trent Brown or a Mike Unwainu, or they want to bring in some guards like a, uh, or center like Connor, McGo- Connor Williams, excuse me, or an Aaron Brewer from Tennessee, that, that's a boost to the offensive line and additions to the front five. If they make an addition in free agency at tackle, To where, honestly, ladies and gentlemen, I think that Cornelius Lucas deserves a chance to compete for a starting tackle spot on this football team. It's a shame that he hasn't been looked at quicker. We've seen in years past with Cornelius, as far as someone that has played that swing guard spot and at times pop out to tackle. He took over for Charles Leno yesterday and against a pretty damn good 49ers front and did a really nice job when you go back and look at the tape. And when he does play, he usually does pretty darn well. Now, I'm not saying that he's a top-tier tackle in this league. Or would he be a replacement for a potentially an Olu Fashanu, a Joe Alt, a Jordan Morgan, Talis Fuaga type of tackle that you may get if you want on day one of this year's draft? I'm not saying that. But you, can, I don't expect them to make an, a new addition and left tackle to right tackle as we line up in week one next year. I do expect some faces to be back. I do expect guys like Sam Cosme to be back. Let's see what we get from rookies in Braden Daniels and Ricky Stromberg, both rookies, Daniels from Utah and Stromberg from Arkansas, that didn't have an impact in 2023. Heck, we didn't even see Braden Daniels active once on game day, not even in uniform or holding a clipboard to see him on the sideline. It did not happen. So again, whatever Washington does in free agency this year, whether it's at tight end or along the front five, linebacker, whatever they do, 
it shows you, it really paints a picture of how they feel about how they're going to approach the draft in April. So that's just a little nugget into, look, how are they going to draft? What are they going to do on day one? What are we going to do on day two or day three? What positions are they going to value? Well, look at a team and what they do in free agency. Where do they allocate their money? Are they spending big to get a big-time contributor to come in right away and be that immediate impact player to where you can really write that off? to where they're not going to take a guy like that in the draft, right? High draft capital, first, second, third round. Or will they wait and maybe spend a guy trying to get a value selection, value pick on day, on day late on day three, round four, round five to come in and compete? Free agency will really paint the picture for an organization and how they plan on drafting. So again, we will see who's pushing the buttons. That will iron out everything. Once you see who's in the building evaluating... From the pro side to the college side, things are going to change and all 32 boards are different in the NFL, then you can begin to really put the board together for Washington. Because from a thousand foot view, again, there are players in this draft class on either side of the ball. When I look at this class, that could be immediate contributors inside Washington's scheme, what they want to do under Eric Bieniemy, and what they want to do on defense for whoever comes into town. Whether they want to be an even front, 4-3, or an odd front, 3-4, they want to run some hybrid stuff. They want to have maybe one linebacker on the field, which we saw at times this year with Jamin Davis when he was healthy, or we've seen from other teams in the NFL to where, look, the Mike linebacker position is really an extinct position to where you're bringing in hybrid safeties, you're adding another corner on the outside, to where you're only having three or four linemen on the field sometimes at most, and everybody else is a hybrid coverage defender. So that is the NFL. And things are going to change. And Washington is going to be a complete, complete overhaul from a roster perspective moving into next year. But today, as much as I want to focus on trying to be positive and moving into next year, because holy hell, we need it. I'm tired of talking about the damn 2023 campaign and under Ron Rivera this year, because it's been an absolute joke. And we've had comparisons and for whatever, the last few years of Ron Rivera being in town, been a lot of concerns and just frustrations just boiling over. I'm just tired of dealing with it. Hopefully moving forward, we can talk about some positivity and things that players that we're excited to see in certain moments in games that get us excited or excited to watch a football game again. Turn it on each game, each week, week after week after week. It's just like, what the hell is going to happen now? What is this team going to do to piss me off today? What move are they going to make to piss me off today? Because when I looked at that game yesterday and Sam Howell, what we saw of Sam in the first half, I loved what I saw because really he looked at Ron Rivera and said, hey, take this coach. You wanted to bench me for no reason at the end of the day. And he had a good first half. I loved the game script from Eric Bieniemy in that first half. You got Brian Robinson going. You got some carries to Antonio Gibson also working out in space a little bit. But you look at that, that drive in the first half. 12-yard run for, for Brian Robinson, and then a 22-yard play on the screen. That's 34 yards right there. Two plays. Brian Robinson, feed him the ball. You're keeping teams off balance. That's where Washington found their success in the first half. Timing routes, rhythm routes, screens. Then, when they bring guys up on press man on third and two, Sam Howell can sit in the pocket, look to the outside, and see that he's got Terry McLaurin in a one-on-one matchup and cover zero, and lay it down the field for 40 yards and trust that 17 is going to separate, which he usually does. Then you continue down that drive and he hits Terry on that front pylon back shoulder. 
That's good stuff. That's growth. That is development from Sam Howell. But then you get into the second half when you're chasing the ball game, as we've done all year long, and defenses know that you're going to throw the ball. So you got Nick Bosa, and you got Chase Young, and you got Cleveland Farrell, and you've got Javon Hargrave, and you've got Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw blitzing through the A and B gaps because they trust their guys in the outside to cover and say, look, Sam Howell, we know you're going to throw. The whole damn stadium knows you're going to throw. So beat us with your arm, with pressure in your face. And consistently, the offensive line has, whether or not they're just facing a four-man front they haven't been able to protect, let alone five, six, seven guys coming. And consistently, week after week after week, Washington is chasing ball games, forcing Sam Howell to play hero ball, and it ain't working. That does not work at the NFL level. When defenses know what you're going to do, Again, that second quarter game script from Biennemi was outstanding because they ran the ball with success and you threw the ball with success because the runs, the run opens up the pass and the pass opens up the run. Then you can do some zone reads and some RPOs and work on some play action. That's the stuff that I like to see from Sam Howell and Biennemi. But again, when you're chasing ball games and defenses know what the hell you're going to do, that's a tough way to live, guys, in the NFL. Let alone being a young quarterback and really your rookie campaign under center where the spotlight is hanging right in front of your forehead like you're being interrogated, and really Sam Howell was, because Ron Rivera said this week, look, I don't really trust you anymore. I'm just going to throw Jacoby in there for the hell of it. I'm on my way out anyway. Who cares? That's really what the statement was from Ron Rivera for wanting to start Jacoby Brissett. There's no reason to start Jacoby. And almost, in my opinion, Jacoby Brissett's hamstring tweaking up or whatever happened, I mean, I wish the best of health for the guy, But sometimes there's instances in this world where you just sometimes things happen for a reason. And I'm not saying the hamstring popped up just because it popped up, but maybe there's a football god somewhere looking out for the Washington Commanders to say, look, we want Sam Howell to start because this is going to really offer you and the new regime a really good evaluation window into what he truly is. Instead of sitting there on the sideline for two games while watching Jacoby Brissett play, whether he was excellent or not good. Because at the end of the day, folks, Jacoby Brissett is by no means going to be the answer for 2024. So again, I wish all the best health for Jacoby in the world. Really good guy. But he's a backup quarterback in this league. And the pulled hammy or whatever happened, the tweaked hammy, the tight hammy, I don't care. I'm not a doctor. Whatever happened, there may have been like a football god looking out for Washington to say, look, no, Sam Howell deserves a start. And he deserves this evaluation window against this team because the first half... There was growth. Then he moved into the second half, and he's got guys at his feet, guys in, guys in his face, and he's making throws that he shouldn't. You're obviously seeing a focus has been made to when there is even a little bit of chaos around his feet. Sam Howell's chucking that thing into section 320. Immediately just chucking it in the stand. So that's obviously been a focus for him to improve and not taking sacks. And he did so at one point earlier in that game to keep Joey Sly in field goal range to get Washington on the board, which is good stuff. But the interceptions in the red zone and interceptions to where he's late or inaccurate to what we've seen really these last four, five, six weeks. And it's really muddied his evaluation into what this team wants to do, especially if Eric Bieniemy is the head coach moving into 2023 because potentially he very well could. And I expect him, as I've said on prior podcasts, guys, 
that he deserves an opportunity to at least interview for the position. He does. He absolutely does. And at the end of the day, BNME was not here when Sam Howell was drafted. He may not be his guy. We saw a lot of flashes from 14 under center this year. Arizona, Denver, the Philly game in overtime, right? The loss at Philadelphia. It's unfortunate. And there were other times throughout this year to where we looked at Sam and said, yeah, he is the guy. And I have sat here and said, look, there is a lot to like about Sam Howell's game. But it is so unfortunate to how the season has progressed to where he has consistently had to play hero ball, put the offense on his back and try to bring this football team back in games when defenses in the NFL know that he's going to throw the football. So defensive ends don't have to be cautious of a run around the edge or running right at you. They just want to say, look, I'm going to pin my ears back, put my hand in the dirt, and get after you, Sam Howell. Every single guy along the front. And whether you're a Mike McDonald in Baltimore or you're a Wink Martindale in New York or you're a Brian Flores in Minnesota, you just want to get after people and force defense or offenses, excuse me, to beat you that's what we saw from Sam Howell this year. And this was it was unfortunate because it just makes him look like crap. But at the end of the day, the NFL is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league. And lately, Sam Howell has not been good. He has not been even average. The regression is obvious. It's unfortunate, but it's obvious. And for this team to where you just paid... Terry McLaurin handsomely, and you drafted Jahan Dotson on day one, and Brian Robinson looks like one of the better young backs in football when he gets the damn rock because Washington's offensive line has been a better run-blocking unit than a pass-blocking unit all season long. Chris Rodriguez has been Washington's best rookie this year as a late day three pick out of Kentucky. Good for him. He runs with violence. I love it. They may bring in a J.D. McKissick type of back in uh, in the offseason to replace Antonio Gibson, who I do expect to be gone, most likely. So who's going to take that role? We'll see if they want to run with three backs. They could run with two and potentially add a flex tight end, that H back, that Y and, and the F, because the tight ends group as a whole doesn't cut it at all. They're not even, they're not even below league average. Logan Thomas, John Bates, Cole Turner, are you kidding me? That group has to improve. So there are a lot of things that correlate to what we've seen offensively for Washington this year. But the regression for Sam with how Washington has put him in a spot to consistently chase football games has made it that much tougher on him. But this is not peewee football. This is not high school to where, oh, little Tommy, it'll be okay. You know, you get another opportunity next year. You'll be a junior next year. No, 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 no. This is the NFL. It's a business. If you don't execute and you don't produce at the level that of expectations that should be set, then you're done. And get out. That goes for saying not just for the quarterback position, but for everybody. And also, who's making the decisions? Which is Ron Rivera, who flat out has not been good enough, and Martin Mayhew, and that couple with Marty Herney. Flat out have not been good enough. So that brings me back to the beginning where everything's going to start from the top down and then we can really evaluate this roster. But from what I saw yesterday from Sam Howell and again chasing a ball game and the two interceptions, ugly interceptions, 
the regression is obvious and it's unfortunate for all the context provided. I liked what I saw yesterday, again, from Brian Robinson. I liked what I saw from Kalik Hudson flying around in space. I thought Quan Martin made some plays. I even think Emmanuel Forbes did a nice job. You look at the Brandon Ayuk touchdown where he really lost him in the back of the end zone. That's not good. But early in that drive, the coverage on Brandon Ayuk looked like a little slot fade uh, down the far hash on the boundary. He's right there with him. You couldn't have better coverage. You just tip your cap to Brock Purdy. Hell of a throw. And Brandon Ayuk, hell of a catch. But Manuel Forbes, one-on-one with Brandon Ayuk, 30 yards down the field. Excellent job. But as a first-round pick, I'm just trying to pick things here and there where there are positives. There should be much more positives than just one flash here and there. And he still got beat on the play. Bottom line, he got beat on the play. So it's just been a tough year. And 27-10 to at home on New Year's Eve is just never good. Now, the commanders announced it was a sold-out FedEx field. Yeah, I'm sure it was about 85% Niners fans. Every single camera angle that you saw yesterday were all Niners fans. In the lower bowl, in the club section, up top. It didn't matter. It was all Niners fans. And the Niners are a hell of a football team. I'm happy that Washington was competing early on in that football game when, again, it was 10-10. But they still almost allowed 30 points to that offense. And from Washington's perspective against that defense, especially in the second half, there was nothing. I had a lot of questions yesterday about what Eric Bannemi wanted to do offensively. Again, because they did not give the ball to Brian Robinson at all, to where the success stems from him. It consistently stems from Brian Robinson, their success, and Eric Bieniemy went away from him. He does get pass happy, but at the end of the day, when you're consistently chasing football games to where you don't have the ability to try to turn these seven, eight minute drives of 11, 12 plays, and you're trying to score in four or five plays and take two, three minutes off the clock, that's hard. That's tough. Again, the game script in the first half where it was a lot of east-west offense, and then you're going to run north-south with Brian Robinson, that was fine. But you're trying to still compete. you got to change what you're doing. And I appreciate the adjustments, but Brian Robinson yesterday, and really all season long, has been one of your best offensive players, really outside of Terry McLaurin, per usual. And he just gets away from the run game a little bit too much for me, from what we saw specifically yesterday in the last few weeks. So I want to go down a few notes from this game. Again, 27-10 loss for the Commanders has pushed them to 4-12. They currently have a top three pick in the NFL draft. We're going to get into all of those avenues as we move forward into the next few months. I was also on 106.7 The Fan at 1230 today. So if you guys missed, if you're not listening to radio during the day and you want to listen back to my 24 NFL draft preview, really talk uh, with Linnell Winningham from 106.7. You guys can go back and listen to that on the Odyssey app that's available for you guys for their site. Again, we'll talk draft as we move forward closer to this thing. We'll get into everybody on the offense and defensive side of the football. But yesterday, I'm trying to find positives. And when you line up on defense in your first series and you got Emmanuel Forbes on the opposite side of Tariq Castro-Fields, who, by the way, look, I wish the best for Tariq Castro-Fields, but not in Washington. You cut Danny Johnson, and Tariq Castro-Fields is there. I mean, right? You guys can get my drift here. Tariq Castro-Fields, I think he had a penalty or two yesterday. It just was not good. Then he got hurt and left that ball game. And we saw some Nick Whiteside, Terrell Burgess running around. It was a mishmash of bodies 
on the perimeter. Tariq Castro Fields entered that game yesterday, first start in the NFL with seven career snaps uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Again, at the highest level of the game. It's just not something you want to line against, line with against one of, if not the top offense uh, in the entire NFL. Um, you go down three nothing. You get a third and four in your first offensive drive. Moves back to third and nine on a false start, and you go three and out. Um, I really like the 49ers' ability to run their three-level concepts. Yesterday, a lot of flood concepts through different zones to force Washington um, to communicate. I like the delayed blitzes at times that Ron sent, right? Ron's like, quote-unquote, leading the defense and making the calls. And he sent Quant Martin on a little blitz, delayed blitz. Just is too late. Christian McCaffrey did a nice job picking it up. But I like that aggressiveness. And I want to see more of that as we worked into weeks five and six, not more so weeks 16, 17, right? I want to see the ability of Quan Martin to be versatile. And that's what he was out of Illinois. He was that multi-level inside-out defender to where he can cover a receiver, cover a running back, cover a tight end, and man, that's what Quan Martin is. Then he can work downhill. And I want to see more of that. And these last two weeks, I like what I've seen from Quan. He's playing a lot of snaps. You look at him and Emmanuel Forbes yesterday, they both played 90% or more of the snaps. That's what you expect from two guys taking in the top 70 picks. You expect that from both of them. Another corner that really stood out to me yesterday, and I hope he's okay. I, I hope we see him. I don't know if we're going to see him next week. Is Christian Holmes. Um, day three pick out of Oklahoma State back in 2022. Had some starts, right? Started the Atlanta game, a New York game last year. And then this year has really primarily worked on special teams just alone. Just designated core special teamer. And... Oklahoma State has consistently pumped out NFL talent over these last few years. And I just want to tip my cap to Christian Holmes because, again, we saw him that very weird uh, situation to where it looked like he fainted uh, in the corner of the end zone. He was chatting with Trent Williams and then fell. And he, I'm sure you, all you guys saw it on the broadcast. And really a scary situation. Um, but he made a really nice play. And when Washington was down 10-3, uh, as that cover three corner, when he came in for Tariq Castro Fields and broke that play up on Ronnie uh, Ronnie Bell, uh, the Niners' uh, day three rookie out of Michigan, had some some pop for them on special teams and as a receiver as well. And it was just really nice to see a corner play cover three correctly this year. And when you're playing cover three, basically the, the fundamentals and the principles of being a cover three corner, from a mold standpoint, you want to look like Benjamin St. Juice, Emmanuel Forbes, Christian Holmes, to where you're, you have long arms, play with length, work through the hands of receivers, downhill, and you're using instincts. You don't like to draft a cover three corner to where you're in zone, work, trying to keep everything in front of you without instincts. And obviously that's why Washington prioritized Emmanuel Forbes because yeah, they wanted to run some more man, but primarily they've been running zone the last few years. Now, much to the chagrin, as I'm sure a lot of you guys, and me as well, to where zone is very easy to, di di to dissect if you're a veteran quarterback or a young quarterback in this league that's just seen it a bunch. It's very easy. You got a receiver and tight ends to understand how to find those soft spots. It's very easy. But it was nice to see Christian pay play cover three correctly yesterday to where he's got, his, he's got his butt to the sideline a little bit more in that side saddle technique. He puts that foot in the ground, plants it, and works forward through the hands of Ronnie Bell on that play. And I think that was one of the better plays. It really stood out to me in yesterday's game because we have not seen Christian Holmes a lot this year. And we have not seen a lot of good corner play all year long, specifically when making plays at the catch point 
on those 50-50 contested catch situations. And just want to tip my cap to Christian Holmes there because, again, I don't know what the future for is for him moving forward into what next year would be year three already for him. And being a special teams core contributor may keep him in town, but just a scary situation from his health perspective after making such a really nice play and really just, it's hard to cut your teeth, guys, on special teams and trying to create that path for yourself to get snaps, whether it's on offense or defense. And for him to make that really nice play to really where it's one of his hand, first handful of snaps on defense this year, it's a tip of the cap to Christian Holmes and what we saw uh, from him yesterday. Uh, the When Washington got the ball back that next series, that's when Sam Howell hit Terry McLaurin on that third and two. Uh was like a 42-yard completion, whatever it was. Again, press man. Sam Howell reads that at the line of scrimmage. Easy completion over the top to 17. And then, of course, Sam hits Terry on that front pylon to make it 10-10. And again, that's when the offense was stemming their success from Brian Robinson Jr., but we just did not see it enough. And what's unfortunate is that when Washington goes and ties it up 10-10, that ensuing kickoff happens, and then two plays. It takes the Niners to get to Washington's 35. Two plays to George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk and the air at Washington's 35. It's just too soft defensively and just flat out not good enough. Watching Cody Barton yesterday run around, oh my gosh. Guys, the linebacking position, it's just was so spoiled with watching guys like Fred Warner and Drake Greenlaw. And I'm not asking Cody Barton to be what we've seen from London Fletcher in years past or LeVar Arrington or Marcus Washington or Michael Barrow or Chris Hanberger or some of the legends of the game. But holy hell, I'm just asking you to fit the run once out of every three times correctly. I'm not asking you to fit it every time. I guess that's too much to ask. But he came to Washington after backing up KJ Wright in Seattle with an opportunity to prove himself that he could be a every down linebacker. And he was an every down linebacker yesterday. I believe he played 100% of the snaps yesterday on defense. Now, injuries and things like that ran into it and caused that. And Saw David Mayo come on the field for a couple snaps, made a couple nice plays, fit the run excellently. No reason yesterday David Mayo should have played more. But holy hell, Cody Barton. I was excited for him this year. It just has not worked out at the linebacking position, the core of your defense. Spend a lot of capital on guys like John Allen, Deron Payne, and bringing them back on sparkling new contracts of the last few off seasons. You got to have guys that can feed off of them right behind them. Dogs, alphas, athletes that get after people. I am, yesterday, whether it was Christian McCaffrey or Elijah Mitchell in that second half, just trying to arm tackle and throwing yourself at ankles and misdiagnosing runs to the perimeter. You can't get off a block when you got a free guard up to your face. I mean, it is just rough football, let alone trying to cover not just George Kittle, who's a premier tight end in the league, but what we've seen when... We're playing the Eagles, and it's Dallas Goddard, or it's Jack Stoll, or the Giants, or Dallas with young players like Jake Ferguson, Luke Schoonmaker, and Peyton Hendershot. It's it's frustrating. It's an addition and additions at the linebacker spot that Washington has got to make this year. Is it a high-priced free agent? Who the hell knows? We'll see. They want to try to get a Patrick Queen from Baltimore who's had his doubts from Baltimore in the early portions of his career out of LSU. But it's had a hell of a year this year with a good running mate like Roquan Smith. It's not just one guy in the middle. It's multiple guys. Gotta have athletes at the second level in today's NFL if you want your defensive ceiling to raise. And Cody Barton and Jamin Davis 
have flat out not been it. David Mayo, thank you for your service. You're a veteran in this league. I appreciate you strapping up every single day. Khalid Hudson deserved more snaps at the beginning of the year and moving into last year. He's active. He can cover. He's correctly fitting in the run. And he's running sideline to sideline, competing his ass off. A tip of the cap to number 47 because it's taken Washington's coaching staff too damn long to realize that the kid can play. A hybrid defender that fits the modern game, yet he doesn't play. Make that make sense. As we move forward into the back half um, of the game, Washington ran a, a nice little levels concept of, well, haven't seen that a lot this year, but levels concept, guys, is really look at the defense as the first level, second level, third level. Third level is obviously that vertical shot down the field. First level is like that flat area, take the line of scrimmage and go flat, and then the intermediate area is that five to 10 yard area of the offense. So usually you have maybe an Antonio Gibson on a wheel in the flat. You'll have a tight end on a, a little hook curl over the middle of the field. And maybe a little post corner or something like that over that third level. And sometimes as that fourth receiver, you'll have Curtis Samuel leak over a little over route. Um, and you saw that yesterday. And I thought Sam did a nice job on that specific concept, again, to hit Curtis Samuel. Uh, the pick to Javarius Ward. Javarius Ward's one of the more underrated corners in football. Undrafted guy that spent some time with the Chiefs. Again, now with San Francisco and got a bunch of picks this fall. And really, more again, the more of the more underrated corners in all of football. On that pick, though, you could see that Sam Howell was trusting Terry McLaurin to get inside. He ran that quick little juke route, China route, whatever you want to call it, return route to the outside to where looks like he's breaking to the perimeter, puts that left foot in the ground, tries to work back, and Traverius Ward just sat on that inside shoulder for Terry, read it like a book, and he just can't throw that football. You see that corner with his leverage there to the inside. If Terry continued his stem to the outside and wanted to put those feet on the far hash and just go out of bounds and try to make the catch, that's fine. But no, he tried to break back to the inside. At that point in time, Sam Howell's either got to move off that read or tuck it and try to make something happen. That throw cannot happen to the inside to where at that point he was late and to the inside and the leverage was already taken away by Chivarius Ward. So that's a really rough pick right there for, for Sam Howell, even though I appreciate the trust that he had in Terry McLaurin uh, to try to make that play. So for me, guys, that is is really the penultimate uh, of this of this season of that game. It's just frustrating. And I feel like frustration has really it has just boiled over for everybody watching this football team over the last really two, two and a half months to where we expected this team to get better. They haven't, they've regressed. And now it's just waiting for what's going to happen. And I'm excited because it doesn't matter if this team is consistently winning 14, 15 games in the regular season or they're winning one game, two game, three games. You guys know you're always going to come back to this team, whether they're the commanders, whether the Redskins or the football team, whatever the hell their name is. Is it going to change? Who the hell knows? But as long as there's a football team in Washington, you know all of us are going to be following this team with as much attention as we can. Whether you're just a fan, a casual fan that peeks at the box scores and see if they won, or you follow this team in every single in and out from the draft to free agency to how players fit, to listen to here on my podcast, to dive in deep to this roster, we're going to be following this team as long as they're in town. Unless they pull a Baltimore Colts and, Colts and pick everything up and head to Indy overnight, we're going to be here. So, it's just frustrating because we're not competing for the playoffs as same thing over these last few years and trying to focus on positives for next year. Who's going to be here and who's not? But there's still one more game to go. And it would be great 
for next week. I know you guys are focused on draft position. I know you guys are. But it would really make my year early in the year to spoil Dallas's attempt at winning the NFC East. Because they win the NFC East next week. Excuse me, win the game next week in Washington. They win the division and win the NFC East. And most likely are going to be a top two seed uh, in the NFC. I would love to spoil that. I would love to. Right? Nothing better. And we'll see what happens. I know a lot of you guys, again, want that draft position to cement it, have the number two overall selection, and we'll see what happens. But I'm looking forward to what's to come following that Dallas game. Now, I'll have a little preview of the game this week. On Friday, we'll talk Dallas Cowboys. We'll talk about what I want to see from certain players like Deami Brown, for example, who had two offensive snaps, guys, against the 49ers. That is a name I really do not expect to be here moving into next year. He's not even playing with a roster that's brought on Jamison Crowder and Byron Pringle. Now, I get it. It's hard to, to get snaps over Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel, but it's not like either three of those guys have been overwhelmingly dominant. Now, I get Terry. Terry's a guy. Terry's a dude. But Jahan haven't seen a lot, and Curtis Samuel really has, has been one of Washington's best offensive players. But he's a free agent, and you potentially think that these last few games, Jami Brown would get more of an opportunity, and he flat out hasn't. So that's a guy I want to see uh, maybe make a couple plays against Dallas and, and make it tricky for this new regime, whoever's going to be in town, to see do they want Jami Brown in town or not as a former day two pick out of North Carolina. So again, podcast will out... We'll be out for you guys on Friday to talk some Dallas Cowboys, more so focus in to what guys need to show the hell up for Washington. Who wants to be here and who doesn't? Who wants an NFL contract and who doesn't? Because it's not just about who wants to be in Washington and proving the new regime that they deserve to be in town and wear a burgundy and gold uniform. It's proving to the other 31 NFL teams that are also going to be making additions and subtractions that they should add you to their roster. It's all about, it's, it's about showing up at the end of the day. It's about effort right now for Washington. It's not about competing. It's not about throwing for multiple touchdowns. It's not about running for 150 yards. It's about who can just show up and, and give a little bit of effort and show that they want to have an NFL contract moving in to not just 2024, but the next years to follow. And that's what I'm interested to see when they host Dallas next week in the finale of the 2023 campaign. So that is going to do it for today's episode. Always appreciate you guys. Always appreciate your likes, your views, your subscribes. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm on Twitter, underscore Ryan Fowler, if you don't follow me there already. My written work is housed at Bleacher Report, and then also scouting stuff will be found at thedraftnetwork.com, including more audio and video content for a brand new relaunch of the site here in the next few days. So that will be something to look forward to for all of you draft enthusiasts as we head into 2024. Again, written work at Bleacher Report and more stuff as well found at the Draft Network. So as always, appreciate you guys. I hope you had a great new year. Hope you're hope you're safe. Hope you guys are hydrating after I'm sure it was a long New Year's. Everyone enjoying their time with family and friends. We are into 2024. Expectations are going to change for Washington. A lot of new faces and a lot of new places. A lot of new voices as well are going to be coming into town. It is 2024. Trying to time to turn the page. From this Rivera regime, we got one more game left of it. Trying to focus on the positives. Again, I'll talk to you guys on Friday. Again, hope you guys had a great new year, great holiday season. We got the CFP tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Semifinal matchup between Alabama and Michigan kicking it off. And then we got Washington 
and Texas. A lot of names to focus on in each of those games. Just a couple for you guys on Texas. Keep an eye on their defensive interior. A guy like Tavondre Sweat and Jade Barron as their safety. He's going to be down at the Senior Bowl. For them on offense, keep an eye on Jatavian Sanders. They're they're extremely flexible, athletic tight end that may be a target of Washington if they maybe want to take one late in the second round, early portions of the third round. For Washington, obviously Michael Penix is going to draw the attention at quarterback, but my focus, guys, is on the defensive side of the ball. Braylon Trice, their edge rusher. Christian Jones, offensive tackle at Texas, he's going to be down at the Senior Bowl. Those guys are going to be going one-on-one a lot tonight. Watch that matchup. And then a corner on Washington's side of the ball I talked about on a couple guys to keep an eye on as draft sleepers, right? A couple episodes ago in our bye week, Jabbar Muhammad, just a flat-out stud on the perimeter. Very similar skill set to what Kendall Fuller offered when he came out of Virginia Tech. That inside-out corner can be sticky man at times, ball production, just a really smart athlete, and you know what you're going to get from him. So that's Jabbar Muhammad against this Texas offense and Xavier Worthy and Adonai Mitchell and Jordan Whittington. That's going to be really fun with, with Quinn Ewers, of course, slinging the ball for them. In the Alabama-Michigan game, Alabama, Jalen Milrose is going to be really fun to watch under center, him running around, throwing that thing 40 yards downfield to guys like Jermaine Burton. On the defensive side of the ball for Alabama, edge rushers Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell are going to be really fun. Kool-Aid McKintree could be CB1 in this class. Still has some stuff to prove for a lot of scouts and stuff to prove for me as well. So in this CFP against Michigan to where, look, they don't have the type of talent on the outside that Texas or Michigan has, or excuse me, Texas or Washington has, but still going to be tested today. For Michigan side of things, keep an eye at nickel corner Mike Sanris still. He may be the top nickel corner in this class. Linebacker Junior Colston as well can flat out play his ass off. On the offensive side of the ball, Michigan and Alabama are very contrasting styles of gameplay. Michigan is a very lackadaisical, lethargic, if you will, offense where they want to run the ball with Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. Both guys expected to be drafted this year. But keep an eye on Colston Loveland, their tight end, and A.J. Barner. Colston Loveland's going to be a tight end to know in next year's class. He's a true sophomore this year. And then A.J. Barner may be a top three or four tight end in this year's class. Interested to see how J.J. McCarthy, quarterback for the Wolverines, targets them tonight to where Alabama, I feel like, with again, with Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell, are flat out going to get after uh, that Michigan offense. So there is talent, guys, everywhere. Even safety, Rod Moore from Michigan. Keep an eye on him as a multi-level defender. If Cam Curl potentially, right, were to walk in free agency, he wants a big contract. Does he deserve it? I think so. I would like to see him in Washington. All my conversations with Cam Curl's camp have been positive as far as a potential return to Washington. I would love to see him back. But again, guys, enjoy the CFP tonight. Hope you guys had a fantastic holiday season from Christmas, Christmas Eve to Christmas to again, New Year's Eve, and then now today on New Year's Day. Hope everything, everyone is healthy. Get to see family and friends. Just spend that quality time and get away from work a little bit and just enjoy good food, good people, good times. That's what the holiday season is all about. And now we are into 2024 and turning the page from a Washington Commander's perspective. So always appreciate you guys. I'll talk to you on Friday. I'm Ryan Fowler, and this is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.